Lou, I'm having a light bulb moment. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a therapy session for Jesse and I. (laughs) Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Roberts. And I'm Lynn Burrows, and you're listening to You're So Vain. You probably think this podcast is about you. We want to talk about raising children today and more specifically, raising well-adjusted kids that are not glued to screens 24-7. Every parent out there can tell you it's not easy as it sounds. It is a daily battle. Sometimes it's easier to give in than do what they want than to actually parent properly. So we've enlisted the help of psychologist and founder of Forethought Psychology, Louise Johnson. Welcome to our show, Lou. Oh, lovely to be here. Thank you so much. Now, I'm just going to kick this off, Lou, and I'm just going to ask you a question because I'm having so much trouble. I want your help in not raising little assholes because I literally have no idea at this point. My children don't seem to listen and threatening, punishing, screaming isn't working for me at all. Are you surprised? (laughs) I don't think it works with anybody, does it? We all tend to tune out whether it's an adult or a child. One of the things we were having a chat about is being able to have the time and space to be able to parent, to be able to have the time and space to be able to look at a situation and respond to it in a healthy way. And one of the things, you know, we were talking obviously beforehand is overscheduling. We all want to be the best parent. We all want to be able to provide our children with the best opportunities. And there's been a real paradigm shift in the last sort of 10 or 15 years I've noticed as a psychologist, um, providing opportunities for them to do the soccer and the sport and the AFL and the music and the swimming and the thises and the thats. This high level of performance has been a recipe in how we've defined whether we're being a good parent or not. And what's happened is this overscheduling provides no opportunity to actually have deep, meaningful connections because we're so busy. We've talked about before, and everybody will be, I suppose, quite familiar with the burnout of trying to work and be a parent at the same time with extracurriculum activities, with being involved with schools. There's this absolute overload of stimulation and expectation and requirement. When I look at parenting, I think one of the first things I look at is what's the, the what's the emotional ecosystem that we're creating in our home? We were just talking before, obviously, about COVID and it gave us two great insights. One was that attachment, real, deep, genuine connections with other people is the purpose of which enables us to find meaning in life and purpose in life. COVID really highlighted the importance of having deep personal connections that that sustain us and sustain our heart. The other one is I think we all got a surprise of how much we were doing and what it was like to do a whole lot of nothing or being isolated while we're doing a whole lot of everything. We had two sort of groups of people. We had people who were bored out of their brain and that we also had people who were complete burnout trying to work and be at home at the same time and the level of multitasking was impossible. Mm. 
And I think now that we're returning back to, I suppose, what we call normal life, we're realising the level of overscheduling or the expectation of our functioning doesn't enable us to actually be present most of the time. And when we're not present with our children, our children are magical um, little beings that will create the most amazing distractions to try and get our attention to connect. So attachment is probably our first and foremost thing we will try and always get in any way possible, whether it's through destructive or healthy or unhealthy ways. So I always look at children's behaviour and want to support parents to first look at where they're at, where are their energies at, how present can they physically, emotionally and energetically be, how overtired are they, how overscheduled are they because if you are that overscheduled or burnt out, how can you possibly be present and self-regulated yourself? Mm. I do have a question though because my my friends and I have had this conversation and we always come to the conclusion if they're not doing after-school activity, what's the alternative because they'll just be on the screens. And I know that perhaps this is an indication of my parenting but I can't, I find it really difficult to, like I have to physically hide the iPad from my Mm. four-year-old. My seven-year-old is a lot more you know, he can find it, he can he can switch it on, he can do everything, right? He can probably oh, yeah. can override probably order a new one and program it, you know. But basically what's the alternative? And and I feel bad if they're at home in front of a TV or in front of the iPad. And so I always think, oh, well at least they have the opportunities that I maybe I didn't have when I was growing up. You know, they're doing they're doing twenty five different <laughs> extracurricular activities. Um, I think let's have a look at just going back to, uh, I suppose, the ever-chasing balance. So I think for children to be able to listen to us, we need to be grounded and children are supposed to be messy, loud, unregulated. Childhood is about learning the skills of regulation. Regulation means that I can stop, breathe, anchor, and not react with my emotions, but I can actually respond to my emotions and make decisions. That takes time. And children are not supposed to be regulated. We're supposed to teach them. And the way we teach them is from the outside in. Whether you want to look at role modelling or I actually often say to parents, 80% of what our children learn is what they experience, which is our bodies. So 80% of our communication is where we are actually really at. 20% is words. Mm -hmm. So if we can make sure that our words and our body match, then children are more likely to hear us. Mm -hmm. But if we're dysregulated ourselves, if we are so overstimulated or run down or we're constantly on this go, 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 we're not actually grounded, we're not regulated, and so therefore they're not going to be either. So I think the first thing is if we're wanting children to learn and I I look at it of my job as a parent is to bring up healthy, well-adjusted adults. They're not supposed to know how to do that. They're learning. So each time I, every moment in life is a learning opportunity. So if I look at everyone's children's behaviour, 
That's the greatest billboard to let me know what they're trying to learn. It's also the greatest message of a need not being met. So I think the first thing is to sort of reframe who I am as a parent. My job is to be grounded and take ownership and responsibility of my own stress levels, (laughs) whether that's looking at my own expectations of what I think is important, my priorities, you know, what the the research sort of looks at or, or, you know, a lot of specialists look at. If you've got a child doing something every day after school, they're going to burn out. So what are they Mm. learning? I've got to be occupied 24-7 to have meaning in my life, which is simply untrue. Children need space to be able to play and reach Mm. research shows that playing is the way children learn. And I do look at if we can't cram enough knowledge in there from nine o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon, (laughs) I think that's enough learning. Mm. And see if you can pace. I look at one kind of sport, a team sport is has such a delicious fertile ground for community, belonging, being a team member, being valuable, all those gorgeous things that come with teamwork. And one creative. But there needs to be a quite a few days at home where either they can play with a neighbour or just have space. And that goes back, Mim, to what you were saying. What else are they going to do? They're going Mm. to be bored and I love boredom because you can't create unless there's space. Yeah. It's funny you should say that. My kids are in a lot of after-school curriculums like every day, every day until 7 o'clock at night. They're in something which is... Exhausting. It's exhausting. And and my eldest daughter in particular, she's nearly a teenager. She's nearly 13 and she always says to me, Mum, I'm bored. And I go, only boring people get bored. But she's she's just like... Can I reframe that for you, Jess? (laughs) Yeah. Because when my kids say I'm bored, I go, ooh, that's a bit exciting because ideas come where there's a space. I wonder what what you're going to create because you cannot create, and I suppose as entrepreneurs, because you both are entrepreneurs, when is your best ideas? is when there's space. But we've been trained that when there's space, we're bored because we're not being entertained. Mm. And this over-scheduling comes from such a beautiful place of I want to provide all these opportunities Mm. for our children. But there's no space to create. Mm, There's no. no space to be. There's no space to be able to allow things to unfold. We're constantly entertained and then we don't know what to do with ourselves. And Mm. that's where the screens come in. And I yeah, sorry. I was just thinking like if I give empty cardboard boxes to my kids, it's like Christmas for them. It's so true. Just sticky tape and cardboard boxes and they're so incredibly happy. It's just that I hate the mess. So really the problem is me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the problem. (laughs) Well, I I think rather than look, us poor parents in, you know, the year 2000, we've been bequeathed with this awful parental guilt and I don't think that's helpful. I think what, what's useful is actually looking at, again, my anchor point, my very first orientation of my compass as a parent is, am I present and does this structural life that I have enable me to be present to parent? Because if I'm not 
present, then I can't tune into my intuition. If I can't tune into my intuition, I can't tune into my child. If I can't genuinely tune in to have a look at what's really going on, then all I'm going to do is react. And when I react, I'm not regulated. And when I'm not regulated, I scream and I yell. And then I role model to my children that when you don't get what you want, you throw a hissy fit. Mm, Just like I'm doing right now. You're not doing (laughs) what I want. And so I'm going to raise my voice until you do. Lou, I'm having a light bulb moment. <laughs> I think this is a therapy session for Jesse and I. <laughs> I'm very much. That's all right. Me too. I've got to say, though, it, it is for me too because it just reiterates something that sometimes I forget. We're not always grounded. We're all not always Buddha. Mm. But the more we can regulate, and that's where mindfulness has really taken off, breath work's really taken off, you just, part of this is being able to set yourself up so you're not so back-to-back, whatever that looks like. But, you know, people have got to work, people have got to put food on the table. But I think very carefully of where you put your money as well, that we can spend exorbitant amounts on extra curriculum and filling up our children's day Mm. and we actually kind of create what we don't want. As my mum says, my my mum says to me, she goes, my my mum goes, Jess, you've got your kids in so many after-school things. Is that just because you're trying to avoid from parenting them? I'm like, hmm. Yeah, sometimes. Mm. This is correct. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) But but you also, you know, you you get these children that aren't getting home till 7 o'clock at night and they're 5, 6, 7, they're primary school kids and they're not getting home till 7 o'clock and they haven't had dinner and Mm. they've literally, if you think about a professional development that you've done as an adult, how exhausted are you by 5 o'clock? And then we're expecting them to go and, yeah, we're mm. absolutely exhausted because you've been or at a new job. We all know in a new job you're going to be exhausted for the first three months because everything is new. Childhood, everything's new every minute of the day. Mm. Mm. It's so true. And so I think the first, the first thing is if we're wanting children to learn how to be regulated or adjusted, you know, thoughtful human beings, we need to provide space for them to learn how to do it. They Let need them to be have bored. parents around them. Oh, yeah. I love boredom. So I think the first thing is if we're wanting our children to emotionally learn how to regulate, we need to be regulated ourselves. Yeah. I think the second part is we need to look at our parenting as we're here to provide opportunities for them to experience the life lesson mm-hmm. or for their need to be met rather than trying to control their behaviour or have emotions that we find more comfortable because children are supposed to be emotionally loud, messy, big Mm. emotions. Mm. Childhood is about learning how to handle big emotions, handle disappointment, handle injustice, handle being sad. So a lot of the work I actually do, interestingly, is to understand emotions with parents. Actually, why... What's the purpose behind being angry, sad, fearful, joyous, guilt? They're kind of the major ones. Mm -hmm. And some of the things I talk about with parents is I love anger. 
It is the most exciting, restorative emotion we can have. It gives us enormous amounts of energy to to right a wrong, but it's been misused. Anger is there to let you know that something's not okay and we need to make something better, that we deserve something better. It's not there to give you a false sense of superiority to criticise and hurt somebody else. So anger is there to let you know that there's some kind of restoration of justice that needs to be done for yourself and for others, that everyone will benefit, that we improve our lives rather than make it worse. So I do talk to kids about let's see if we can use the anger to make helpful helpful changes rather than hurtful changes. So use our anger and our emotions to understand because our emotions, I talk to kids and I go, I wonder what the secret message of that feeling is because every feeling has a message. That's why we have them. It's kind of our compass. It Mm. lets us know what we're supposed to be doing next that's going to improve the situation. So anger lets us know that we're more deserving than we've ever considered before and we need to find a, a very healthy way to get justice or right or wrong. Yeah. Sad means I feel there's been a loss and I need to get back to love, whether I reach out to somebody else or I might be missing it from myself. Mm. Fear means I need to stop and reassess the situation to make it safer for me for the next step physically or emotionally. And so all of these emotions are really important to listen to and start to understand. Joy means I'm nailing it. I need to know how to get more of that. <laughs> I got the recipe right. Really love yeah. a bit of joy. That's how I fill up. That's how I fill up my cup. And guilt's a really interesting one. I love talking to, to children and saying, do you know what? Guilt wasn't there to make you feel like a really bad person. It's there to show you the depth of which you care about something. And how important it is for you to be in integrity with how much you care. Mm. Because if you don't feel guilt, you can't be so you can't be part of a social group because you don't care about others and the impact of your behaviour on others. Mm. Mm. Provides moral parameters. I need to be taking notes. (laughs) Yeah, I need to take notes to my own. Do you have a book? I can't regulate my own emotions. Me neither. So talking about... Well, I think that's kind of where we've got to start. I have moments. You do. No, talking about emotions... And I think that's where the screams... I have moments, yeah. Yeah, I was just saying, talking about emotions and the feelings of, you know, fear, guilt, happy, all that sort of stuff, I'm going to jump a few questions ahead. Um anxiety a lot of kids these days have anxiety they would say and it's kind of a trend at the school I know in the older years it's like kids are going going, oh I've got anxiety uh, and all this is it important to talk to your children about anxiety so in my family I've got a as I said I nearly have a teenager and she has said to me mum I think I've got anxiety and I'm like no baby don't have anxiety you've got you know nerves so I'm trying to teach her about the difference between nerves and anxiety. And I could be wrong. She might have a bit well, of anxiety. I just want to know, are we just too quick to jump to say that our child has anxiety when they're not being properly diagnosed and we should be teaching them about 
the nervous system and it's not really always anxiety. Yeah, what are your- well, I'm going to kind of reframe the, la- reframe the language because it's a bit like I've got this as if I've caught it. And mm. anxiety is intense fear that's maintained. So I like to use the word fear or it's your alarm bell. So from a nervous system perspective, we have a protective um, a protective alarm bell to physical and emotional threat. And so when we experience anxiety, we're actually experiencing that protective fight-flight response. Mm -hmm. And we can learn skills to cool it down when it's overreactive. But also I do like children and adults to realise I'd never really want to get rid of my alarm bell. Mm -hmm. I want to, though, be able to use it to help me So when we talk about, say, anxiety, it might be anxiety in public speaking, I do like to reframe it to say that you feel a bit nervous or you might feel fearful that you're going to be judged. Mm. And so there's a life lesson in that. Though That fear is letting you know I need to stop and rethink what I think the emotional threat is. Do I need to learn how to be my best friend so that I am not putting myself down all the time? Do I need to experience things that build my confidence? Do I need to plan in a way that sets me up for success and lower my expectations or have more realistic expectations that really public speaking is probably the number one top fear? Yeah. And that if I practice and know my stuff and can back myself emotionally and learn that who I am is about what I think about myself rather than what I think everybody else is thinking about myself, then my alarm bell cools down because there's no longer a threat. So, again, we're looking at the meaning behind what we experience emotionally rather than seeing it as something that we've caught. It's Mm. trying to tell us something. Mm. And so I I do work with people who, and there is a level of diagnosis that goes with anxiety, whether somebody's experienced a a long-term level of trauma, their nervous system is going to be heightened and in a heightened vigilant state. Medication can help with that and therapy can help with that to desensitise the body so the body starts learning it is safe now. Mm. Just like, you know, I suppose the the PTSD anxiety component of those who've been through trauma. What's interesting is that you're reframing every potentially negative feeling as something that's incredibly important to keep you safe and help you be better. And and it's actually quite ingenious. Should we be paying you for this session, Lou? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>